Oh my God. <laughs> it's all going in the wash, isn't it? You just have to, I suppose this is the reality of dog walking, isn't it? I know. I feel bad. They've got Christ. really nice shoes. Well, they've got them from TK Maxx. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, I went out for a stroll on Hampstead Heath with the very wonderful comic Matt Ford. Matt loved the idea of working with the Dogs Trust, so we borrowed their dogs, Jem, a lurcher, and Boost, a staffy. I had a lovely time with Matt. He's a very glass-half-full person, and a couple of hours with him feels like you've just had a shot of some fabulous sunshine and tequila. He even gave us a blast of his Tony Blair and a little bit of Donald Trump. You can catch Matt on Absolute Radio's Rock and Roll Football every Saturday at 2pm and he's on tour in 2019. For more info on that, please go to mattford.com. Also, do check out dogstrust.org.uk just to see some of the wonderful work that they do. And finally, rate, review and subscribe. Here's Matt. I feel slightly nervous about being in control of a dog. Do you, Matt? Yeah, it's a big responsibility, isn't it? I'm sort of imagining what it would be like to own one. <laughs> I've lived with dogs before. Have you? I've never owned one myself. We should, well, I was going to say we should introduce the dogs, but perhaps I should explain who I'm with. I'm with the very fabulous Matt Ford. Hello. Who I'm a big fan of. I was going to describe you... Do you know, I, I was going to call you a comic, which you are, yeah. and I nearly said political comic, and yeah. I stopped myself. Why? Do you think, think, it's too, you think it slightly devalues me? I do, actually. <laughs> I've got to be honest. I see you as someone with funny bones. Oh, cheers, um, mate. I think you're naturally hilarious. Oh, that's very kind. And when I say political comic, I think a bit smarmy crafted one-liners on a panel yeah, show. Yeah, a little bit, um, I, mean, well, I mean, I can do that. I've got a pun for you about <laughs> Brexit. Whereas I think of you as like, you're just funny in the room. Oh, cheers, mate. I and it so. happens to be politics that you are, are interested in. Oh, that's in. very kind. I do try and be, um, you know, obviously that's the sort of comedy that I do live, but I do try and do other stuff. Because if you find all parts of life funny, it seems to just restrict yourself to... One bit. And yeah. when you say political comedian, people do go, yeah. They think what, what you're really saying is a not very funny comedian. They're saying a, you know, prick in a suit. Like you say, it's that kind of, yeah. And that was just the environment secretary. Oh, God. So, got any funny captions about this oh, one, God, yeah. John? Brexit um, is like going to your nan's house, all that sort of stuff. Say, oh, God, save me from this. And um, that said, Brexit is like going to your nan's house. So. <laughs> we're, we're, should we introduce our dogs as well? Because we've got... Two dogs from the Dogs Trust today, Matt. We have we? beautiful dogs. I've got Boost. You've got Boost. Who is a staffy. And I have Jem, who is a lurcher. And, and both beautiful, um, oh, caramac coloured. <laughs> Mine is. Jem is. Is it Jem or Gem? Jem. Yeah, you know why? You know, Gem? you know why? Because of Gem Archer, who was in Oasis. And I always <laughs> could never remember whether his name was Jem or Gem. But it's spelled Gem. I've heard of anyone called Gem. Yeah. It's a very medieval pronunciation. Yes, isn't yeah, yeah. So Matt actually was just talking to Josie, who is a vet for the Dogs Trust. She's like someone out of a rom-com, that sort of job. <laughs> and these are her two dogs, which were rehomed. So, and Matt, when I said we were doing this today, you were quite keen to have to work with the Dogs Trust, or specifically 
you know, dogs that have been rehomed? Because didn't you used to sponsor one or you do? I one? currently do sponsor a dog at the Dogs Trust, yeah, for the last year. I was never, as a child, I was petrified of dogs. Seriously? Well, because, because I lived in a rough area, all the dogs were like off the leash status dogs. So it was Rottweiler's Doberman. And they were all eating, you know, monosodium glutamate pumped full of tin food. You know, it was all like, they were rabid, mad beasts. And they were all biting people and jumping up and down. So it was, my introduction to the world of dogs was brutal. And this is in Nottingham where this you grew up? This was in Nottingham, yeah. And then um, my good friend John Richardson, who's a, a real lover of dogs, oh, kind yeah. of got me into them. And my girlfriend's a big dog lover. And actually, I'd never really experienced gentle dogs and cute dogs and small dogs, you know. So now, actually, I've... Obviously, was never a supporter of animal cruelty or anything like that, but I would never really consider myself that bothered about dogs and their rights and things. And actually, now I think they're wonderful animals. And what dog is it? Well, it was a dog called Digby, but it's just been swapped to a new dog, which I thought meant that Digby had perhaps died. Mm. But actually, I think he has genuinely keep it, been keep it light found... at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> 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 he has found a new home. Oh, I think he. Um, Obviously, you realise that a lot of the dogs have behavioural issues or whatever, and probably yeah. some of them can't be. It's very hard for them to find somewhere to live. Well, it's also hard as well, because we've got a staffy and a lurcher today, and people tend to... There are real misconceptions about dogs, I think, certain breeds, you know? Staffies so, especially. Yeah, I think so. Actually, I want to talk about your childhood, okay. but I've taken us on to misconceptions, which means yeah. I have a question for you. Oh, God. Which is... What do you think is the biggest misconception about you? If people think Staffies are aggressive and they're not, they're very gentle dogs, what do, how do people get you wrong? Because I'm going to tell you in a minute how I got you wrong. Oh, God! Well, I get two p- things, I, I think, that I've noticed, and none of them really bother me. One of them is people assume that I'm privately educated, which I think is very strange, but I think it's just because I wear a suit and talk about politics, and therefore people go, well, that's just what privately educated people do. Secondly, I think... Judging by some of what I get on Twitter, and it's, you know, it's Twitter, so you have to take it with a pinch of salt. But I think, I've never considered myself to be particularly controversial or nasty or rude, but I think Twitter makes you realise that if you have any opinion, you, you really offend a lot of people. Mm. So sometimes when I meet people, they say, oh, actually, you're really nice, or whatever, you know, thankfully. So I think sometimes people think, because your politics are a particular way, or because you're way. quite passionate about something... They assume that you're actually quite an unpleasant person. And it's just a real lesson in life. You know, I do a political show, I interview a lot of Tories, and people always say, you've got to stop having Tories on because we really like them. And I'm not used to this feeling of seeing a Conservative and feeling pleasantly about them. Humanising them. Humanising people, yeah, so... Shall I tell you what I thought about Yeah. You? God, I'm, I'm worried now. What are you going to say? <laughs> oh, God. When I first met you, I think I met you in Edinburgh, I want to say, like, four, maybe five, you know, five years ago. Yeah. And I used to see you round at various places, and we had the same sort of management company. Yes. I thought, he's really laddie. Oh, really? Yeah. What, and like a sort of football and beer? Yeah. And I thought... Yeah, I, I can see. I also thought you were really wealthy. No way. Yeah. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, oh, he's probably got his dad's, like, a businessman. He's <laughs> lives in... Do you know what I mean? Oh, that is so strange. Yeah. So what would I saw you in sort of a mock Tudor house with a swimming pool. No way. Yeah. That makes you sound like I was probably quite brash. No. I saw you as confident. But I think what was interesting is that what it often shows you, and I'm fascinated by this, is this has everything to do with 
your misconceptions, nothing to do with the person. You project them onto other people, don't you? Yeah, so well, if, if I've reminded you of someone yeah. who was like that, then you think, oh, well, he's <laughs> like that prick I hated at school or but whatever. This is, don't worry, this is a shit sandwich because the, I'm getting to the bread now. Yeah. And what I've now discovered, <laughs> that was completely wrong. I got you so wrong. And I think... Can I ask, what made you think I was wealthy? Because I haven't got a posh accent. I think you carry yourself with a confidence. Really? Yeah. It's so odd that, that I would project that, because... And maybe because I've, I'd perceived your politics to be centre-left or yeah. slightly, you know, right-of-left, yeah. I would have made assumptions based on that. I don't know, but it was all my stuff. Wow. Anyway, the point of me telling you this is that I think you're great, and that's oh, why cheers, I wanted you to do my podcast. Oh, I think you're great too, so this oh. is very cool. Oh, how nice. So, let's take... Let's go back to Nottingham. Yes. And old Boost just going into the mud. You're brought up... It's your mum and yeah, your sister. sister and you. Yeah. And where's your dad at this point? So he's in Uganda. So him and my mum would split up, and I think... He was genuinely in Uganda, to be fair. But I think my mum uh, said he's in Uganda as a way of not saying that, you know we've split up or whatever. In a way, I think I was quite lucky because I only remember growing up with my mum and sister. So it wasn't like, I think parents, I think families who go through divorce, I think it's, I always thought it was harder for friends of mine whose parents got divorced when they were used to having mum and dad both around. Mm. And then that norm is broken. Whereas if, you, if the norm is you, your mum and your sister, then anything yeah. else seems a weird sort of bonus. So then when I got to meet my dad and got to know him, then it was just like extra fun. And what was it like when you saw him, Matt? How old were you when you saw your dad again? I think maybe five or six. I remember being very excited. I remember the first time I clapped eyes on him, which is a very strange... Obviously, it felt normal at the time. But obviously, it's quite odd to remember the day you met your dad. It's quite a cool thing. I was just so excited. You know, you find out you've got this extra family member that's your dad. And obviously, we'd written to each other and things like that. And then I just remember how thrilling it was, really. I still remember sitting on the step on the street. So the street I grew up on was very much like a... It's like the, it's like the streets that were on the opening credits of Coronation Street. Yeah. Just rows to row terraced houses with yards out the back that back onto yards that back onto another row of houses. I just remember seeing him walking up the street. I say, I think I, met, I remember my mate saying, I think that's your dad. <laughs> just sort of guessed it. Oddly, it's, it's funny the things you remember. I remember us walking around Mark 1. The shop, Yeah. yeah. I think my sister wanted to buy something. I can't really remember what, but I do remember specifically walking around Mark 1 in Nottingham. That's quite a funny place to go for the reunion, isn't it? You just I, think you just sort of, I think you're just kind of mooching about, aren't you? And then obviously from then on, it was very much weekend dad stuff. Mm. Every few months, Burger King, bowling, the cinema, that sort of stuff. It was nice. Did you still feel very much like it was a triumvirate? You know, you, your mum and your sister... Oh, yes, yeah, that's kind of the family unit. You know, I've talked to my dad about this, and I think he's such a good bloke. What, does, what does he do, by the way, again? So he's now working out in... Um, he's out in Ethiopia. Oh. He, works, he works in public health. Boost just had some... Uh... some is, that, <laughs> is that safe for dogs to drink puddles? It's OK. He just had a, some muddy puddle, which I believe is a farron ball colour. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> no way, you're kidding. <laughs> I can never tell whether you're being serious or not. But you're so you're so much more sophisticated, so I would always defer to your to your knowledge. So go on. So he's now in Ethiopia. So he works. He, he spent a year in um, Pakistan, and now he's in Ethiopia doing public health stuff. 
So he's right. always worked in the NHS. He's a very clever bloke. But it's, it's more, and I've said this to him, and I, and I, don't, think he, I don't think he takes offence at it. And I think he's sort of... I mean, really, given how disastrous some people's relationships are with their parents, and particularly parents that weren't around, you know, it could have been, I've, I can't say very lucky. He's more like an uncle. I mean, yeah. he's definitely, you know, he is my dad, and I feel very, very close to him. But he never disciplined us. He was never there to tell us off, so he never went through the same formative experiences where he was an author, authority figure. Obviously, he's an authority figure because he's older than me and he's my dad, and you have to yeah. recognise that, you know. Not that I would be deferential, but respectful of that. So, really, it's just, I just think it's kind of... I think we got really lucky that we had a very, very good mum who was mm. a mum and a dad mm. in very difficult circumstances. And then you get sort of like an extra dad. <laughs> that's a lovely way to look at it, though. Yeah, it's cool. And we all get on, which is good. I suppose he, if he was a permanent presence in your life and he made, you know, he saw you throughout that period, as soon as he came back, he was back in your life, was he? Or was he in, did he pop in and out? Well, he lived in Coventry and we lived in Nottingham, so yeah. we'd see each other fairly regularly. Yeah. We meet up every Christmas now. Um, and he's a good laugh. Like, I've got a lot in common with him. He's very likeable. Um, not that I'm saying that about myself, but, you know, the way I feel about him, he's a very likeable and open person and uh, interested in lots of different things and can basically talk and get on with anyone. Tell me about your mum, then. Well, she's an incredible person, really, because she was a nun... <laughs> She was a nun for, oh, I think, like 15, 20 years before she had me. Which obviously makes it sound, it always makes it sound like she was up to no good in the final year of the convent and got pregnant, you know. But she left first and then she became a nurse and that's how she met my dad. Well, when I interviewed you recently at an absolute radio gig and, and I described her in a way that shocked you a bit, which I'll return to, but we've just oh, we've a got a bit of a face-off. They've got such ferocious... Jem is absolutely avoiding the... Uh... Hello, schnauzer. they like an old granddad. Oh. Hello. Oh, is he a friendly dog? <laughs> oh. That was definitely a kind of dog version of small man syndrome, wasn't it? Like... Do you think so? Yeah, because there was I'll a bit of looking mind. and then it was only when we walked off it started barking. I like the sound of your mum. <laughs> I interviewed you once about your mum. <laughs> And I described her as a nun who broke bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think of her. Yeah, that's really funny. She just decided she want, she, that wasn't the life for her. Yeah, I think... The convent I mean, life. It's, it's a fascinating insight because obviously you, cho- you choose that life and it's vocational. But it is very sparse and obviously a whole load of discipline. And the way she described it to me was almost like... It sounded like she'd been in prison for 15 years, to some extent. I mean, she loved it, and she'd travelled the world with it. She'd been in, in America, uh, as well as across the UK. So I think it had given her a lot, but in the end... The common can be a difficult place, really. Yeah. I think there's, there can be bullying and cliques there. I think people presume just because people are... Well, maybe perhaps less so now, but because people are religious and dedicated that it's all very spiritual and nice, but it's harsh. So she left, uh, and she retained her Christianity... You brought up religious. Yeah, but not in a... So I was an altar boy at a Church of England church, which was just the nearest one. So we ended up going to this church in Snenton in Nottingham that's still there. I quite liked it, in a way. So it'd make you feel good. I mean, I'm an atheist now, so... But the, 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 the discipline of it is rewarding. But I was an awful altar boy. I was sick on the altar once, and... Mm. I just hadn't had any breakfast. I puked all over the altar as a kid. It was very embarrassing. And then, obviously, as I suppose a lot of people, 
do, once you start thinking for yourself a bit, it does become, I mean, that's a crucial point, I think, teens, as anyone who's religious, who doesn't find it in later life, if you've grown up with your parents, Christianity or, or any religion, once you start picking holes in it, I mean, there's something really thrilling about it. You realise you're starting to think for yourself. But then the world does come crashing down a little bit. And you stop believing in Santa. <laughs> and then you stop believing in God. And you think, crikey, all the things I've been told. Better get into politics where you can trust people. Better get into politics, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, wonder, I, wonder how mu- I wonder how much that... I've never thought mm. before whether that came from there, whether that was a kind of substitute religion. Is it a replacement ideology in a way? Well, I suppose it's a set of values, yeah, isn't it? a set it? of values. Do you remember being funny when you were growing up? And did you have a sense of holding a room, making people laugh, um, and that was a currency for you? Not very young. I was very nervous. Oh, my God, there's like a... <laughs> oh, my word. I don't think I've ever seen so many dogs together all in one place. Matt, what's... Should we describe the scene? Of, I thought it was... I mean, it almost looks like a fox hunt. There's so many, but there's so many different dogs. I would say there's about... How many would you say, Matt? This is going to kick off, isn't it? 15, oh, this 20. Is be a fucking nightmare. I mean, some of them are frolicking. Is that a dog fight? So there's about 20 dogs there. Would you say more, maybe, there's Matt? A whole load. What do we do? What's the protocol? There's... What do the dogs just say about this? Oh, there's a couple of that poodle is. Uh... <laughs> it's all the small ones that are angry, isn't it? How dare oh, we're you? We're a lot of attention over here. I used to have lurchers. Oh, oh did you? you know my baby? You interested? No. <laughs> She wasn't talking to Matt, by the way. Nice. <laughs> oh, where they go again? The Love Island Shih Tzu. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's really trying to pin her down, isn't he? No, they're both male. He's, um, no way. He's absolutely shattered. <laughs> <laughs> he's going, I can't do this. He normally has to walk around the corner. Oh, I thought they were trying to have sex. He's trying to fight. He's shattered. He can't, be, he can't talk about misread the signals. My God, what does that say about me? Well, oh I like gosh. I like that poodle because that's got I call that astronaut's wife hair. You know the perm that the astronaut's <laughs> wife always had. And you don't see it so oh, much these days. Oh, the samoids the standout stunner for me. What would you oh, say? Oh, I like the I like the little scruffy terrier type thing. Yeah, I like scruffy dogs. Yeah, I, I can see that. Little raggy. Oh, that was. I tell you what was really nice then was when they were all running round. Yeah. Jem sort of stood close to me, almost for protection there. Well, that's how I read it anyway. Oh, Jim felt like it was actually her. my dog then. Do you know, Jen was very classy throughout that whole business, wasn't she? Didn't get involved in any of it. No. And she had a lot of them going round a bum. The little ones were really mad for it, weren't they? Yes. I was asking you about being funny and oh, getting yeah. that sense of currency and holding the room. And when were you first funny? I don't know. Oh, my God, I've got <laughs> no idea. I mean, I was quite nervous as a primary school child. I was bullied quite a bit. I had really bad eczema on my face, which didn't help. And uh, we lived in an area, I think this really had quite an effect on me, politically oddly, rather than emotionally perhaps, was that um, the people bullying us at school were also like bullying the rest of the community as well. And like we were getting burgled and things like that. And it was just the claustrophobia of your home not being safe. Like, but there being no respite. Oh, that's how, I mean, also, it was a very happy place and everyone knew each other and there was that warm working-class community, but there's an experience of crime and how, like, two or three families can really destroy an area 
that's never really left me and I just think um, as a result I was quite nervous and still now I'm hyper alert on a night out can always sense danger I remember seeing Shane Meadows say if, if you grow up in a rough area you can always tell when a fight's going to start mm. and I can always spot it earlier than some of my friends you can just sort of see the the conditions starting to coalesce so I'm, did, I'm very hyper did you hyper ever alert. have incidents then when you were sort of jumped by guys or oh you know. god yeah like on the park people trying to beat you up and then and then just the normal stuff that then people go through. I remember some guy pulling a knife on me on a night out. What did you do? Legged it. <laughs> Pegged it up the road and there was a girl and a guy and she was on my course at university and I was just screaming, he's got a knife, he's got a knife. And then they then sort of ran up the road with me and they lived on that street. And they were going to let me in and then her boyfriend changed his mind and said, like, I don't want any trouble in the house. She's like, he's going to get stabbed. But this insane argument where this guy with the knife is literally coming at me and this bloke's not going to let me in his house to stop me getting stabbed. And they eventually let me in. Yeah. It was really bad luck, so I kept on their sofa that night and then went back to my flat in the morning and I'd been burgled as well. <laughs> really bad oh, luck. Matt. Yeah, it was really bad. So I wasn't really, I think, so that made me quite a nervous child, really. Mm. Um, and then it was sort of secondary school where I got a bit more confident. And then I remember realising I could impersonate a few people which was quite an easy way into showing off. And then did a school talent show where I impersonated some of the teachers. And then from then on, kind of thought, oh, actually. But I wasn't some great show-off as a kid, I don't think. It's interesting that, because when I interviewed Matt Lucas, that was his first inciting incident moment, I suppose, was impersonating teachers. Oh, wow! And I remember oh, my. him saying he sat there and he said, I just remember there were these kids and I suddenly started... And, and people were laughing, and I thought, oh, this is good. I didn't oh, know. Yeah. This is great. I can do this. It's interesting, isn't it, that sort of early foray into satire, you know, which is essentially what you're doing. Of but course, yeah. I've you've got a real that. talent for that, though, Matt. The fact that you're a good mimic and you, you're good at observation, did that make you think maybe I could do something with this, or did you just like doing it and think, I'll be funny in the pub? From then on, I, I, I felt quite driven, oddly. So I did my first stand-up gig when I was 16, we're probably Nottingham. 16 is young. Yeah, and then dabbled a bit. I never really went at it, but it was always just doing it on the side. I mean, obviously everyone can remember times at school where they were showing off and it went badly or whatever, you know. So still, occasionally, memories will resurface of going too far. But I don't think... I really hope I wasn't that sort of kid. <laughs> I remember going to... Um, remember auditioning for... There's a thing called the Central Junior Television Workshop and it provided, so many people went through it, people like Vicky McClure and Andrew Shim and people like that. And I auditioned and was dreadful because I was too nervous. But I remember being in the queue and all these kids were like, yeah, they, they had like grade three tap. And I, I genuinely thought it meant, <laughs> I thought they were talking about furnishings, about a kitchen. I had no idea. And you just realised there's this whole world of that sort yeah. of kid. And obviously I was very different to them. I, but you wanted to perform. Yeah, definitely comedy. Which surprises me, because you don't seem very damaged. And I think oh. most people that want to perform, there is a little bit of damage there. I think there is. I think in a way that's become a cliche. And then I think as a result, it's attracted people who think, oh, well, I should do that then. And also I think that line of work damages people and life damages people along the way anyway. So. Yeah. If you don't go in damaged, it can sometimes come out damaged. I never saw it as therapy. I never thought, I've got to talk... And I don't really do that sort of comedy. 
I just really like showing off and making people laugh <laughs> in that arena, you know. I'm not some permanent, although actually some of my friends say I do it their head in. I'm a bit of a pest. <laughs> just relentlessly rigging them up. Farsing <laughs> about. Um, so you did a stand-up gig at 16. Yeah, it wasn't very good. And it wasn't good? No, but I loved it. I kind of knew. I knew I wasn't quite doing it right, but I sort of felt I was on the right track. But then <coughs> you went into politics at 16. Is that yeah. right? I think I joined, this, I joined the Socialist Worker Party when I was 14 and left like, when I was 14 and two weeks. I left after like a fortnight. It was hell in there. Was it? Such angry people. And, and this is very relevant now, given what's happening with Labour and things. I'd come from, in that group of people, and I was by far the youngest, I was dealing with people in their 30s and 40s, who, some of them were kind of working class, a couple of middle class people. I'd had by far, economically, the tougher start. And yet I, I was already to the right of them. And they couldn't see why someone from my background wouldn't be a full-on communist. So that was a really early lesson. And that's something that's kind of playing out now where white working class people really aren't that bothered about Corbyn, I don't think. It's funny, that political thing, isn't it? Oh, Matt, what is that? Oh, God, we're going through absolute... <laughs> I feel bad for you because you've got really nice clothes on. They're not. No, it's I good can, exercise, isn't it? I can do about. a bit of a Jay-Z and just throw them away. <laughs> you know, they just, he just throws them away after Does each he? wear. Yeah. I threw a pair of trainers away once and it, it, it gave me such a pang of guilt. <laughs> did you? They were finished. What I did, I went to a shop and bought a new pair of trainers and just walked them out of the shop and then just put the others in the bin. <laughs> I said, I feel like such a decadent Western fool. Like... Are you careful with money? Yeah, I save a lot. I always pay my bills. Yeah. When I was a student, I got myself into a lot of debt. Did you? Yeah, like credit card debt and stuff like that. So I'm really, if I go overdrawn now, I'm petrified. Quit, oh, jeez. <laughs> come God, here. I'm strangled. Matt's poor, gone. Uh, poor Jem, sorry. Matt's gone into some... Uh, slipping all over the place. I was going to say quicksand, but on the radio show I do with Frank Skinner, I think we did a text in which was whatever happened to quicksand. Yeah, well, it was... Because it disappeared, it was so fashionable, and now it's got our vogue now. I had a real fear of quicksand as a kid, and I lived nowhere near the beach, but it just, it was in so many dramas and comics and... <laughs> It felt like it must have been a... God, this is really hard Matt, to walk across, I've made it? a terrible choice. Right, what we need to do... This is... Let's get onto a nice hard path. We need to get onto the path, and then we need to try and do a ride. <laughs> this is so bad. We're just going to have to go up this... Oh, my God. <laughs> it's all going in the wash, isn't it? You just have to... I suppose this is the reality of dog walking, isn't it? I know. I feel Nick. bad. Jesus You've got Christ. really nice shoes. Well, they've got them from TK Maxx. <laughs> Talk about being good with money. My biggest uh, expense is probably like eating and drinking out. That's that's what that's my treat. Clothes are something you just that you wear out and then have to replace. <laughs> I don't. I'm not into clothes at all. I'm just like I wear these until they go. Yeah. You know, to the to the holes in the shoes or to the gusset goes. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll I'm quite fascinated by that because having worked in fashion, I think men often have that idea that I'm not affected by fashion, I just put things on. Yeah. And there is a rather brilliant speech in Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Where she says, you think you're not affected by fashion. Yeah. You think you're wearing that blue jumper. That blue jumper is because four years ago, Saint Laurent showed that in his collection. Yes. That then filter. And there's this brilliant speech in the same way that when people say they're not affected by 
politics. Yes. You know, that sense of that, course. oh, I'm not voting. But does that upset you? If someone says, I don't vote, there's no point, what do you think? I do. I, it, I always feel, and I know I shouldn't, I always feel slightly less of them. <laughs> I just think, if you can't be bothered, do you know what I mean? And, and even, at, even in the sort of dull, normal political waters of the, the end of the new Labour era, you just think, how can you not give a toss what happens to your, to your community or to your country? Yeah. I think that's really odd. Although, oddly, now I kind of understand it because people are so exhausted with it all. Matt, look what's happening. What boost? What's, what well, does Boost them do? There's a, there's a are they allowed in? Yeah. Are they? Should we let them in, Matt? We'll let them in the water. Do you want to go in? Oh, man. <gasps> Matt, you can throw a stick at the dog. I'm not going to throw it at the dog. <laughs> <laughs> We're going, right, so this is Hampstead Heath Pond. Oh. And I don't want a dog drop. Yeah. But we went in here with uh, Dynamo's dog. Wow. Yes, this is his favourite pond. So shall we take the lead off and Matt? Yeah. Shall I take boosts? the lead off Gem as well? Shall I? Can she won't go in there. I'm going to throw this in. Is it fair on the dog to throw it into the water? Yeah. We're sort of making it do something, aren't we? <laughs> this is like bullying, isn't it? Right, here you go. Straight in there. Good dog. Wow. I tell you what, if it was warmer, I'd have gone in. <laughs> I love water. Should we throw it again, Matt? This yeah, is a great yeah, yeah. Game. This is great fun, isn't it? Oh, there's another. She's legged off with it. <laughs> oh, don't take it. Bring it back. My God. Is she going to bring it? She's going to bring it. Oh, she's going to bring it. <laughs> oh, hey, up. Gemma's getting involved now. Aren't they gorgeous dogs? Aren't they lovely? You can hear that splashing. That's Boost going. She's going in far. Right, look at that, Matt. The man. water looks really clean as well, doesn't it? Oh, look at her swimming, Matt. Wow. So dogs don't have swimming lessons, obviously a stupid thing to say, but they just instinctively can swim in a way that humans can't. I understand why those people go for those swims on Christmas Day and things. Yes, you know? yeah, the people who live by the seaside. Yeah. What's why does the, she keep uh, going up there? Keeps going up with the hill with it. It's protecting the high ground. She's a master <laughs> of uh, war strategy. It must just be in dog's blood, isn't it? Because they're, they're fighting animals. See, when you say that war strategy thing, why I like spending time with you, Matt, is I think you're a bit like Wikipedia. Oh, God, inaccurate. No. <laughs> I think you're passionate about history and you're passionate about what has happened yeah. as well and you're interested in those links as opposed to, for example, you know people that say, oh, I don't know that, I wasn't born. Yes. You would never say that. Yes, Matt, because you wouldn't do that with musicals. You start when people say black and white films are boring or... Yeah. I was into Johnny Cash as a kid. See, that's quite unusual, People isn't it? People like, why into Johnny Cash? I was like, it sounds really good. Because that was the 80s, so... Yeah. Late 80s, early 90s, I was banging into Johnny Cash before I got into Oasis. Should we take her off the lead, Matt, do you think? Is, is, that, is that legally allowed? Yeah, I think so. Let's take her off. OK, let her off, yeah. OK. So I want to go back to you getting into politics. So yeah. you decided that you joined the Socialist Worker Party. Yeah. But I used to go like fly posting in Nottingham and stuff like that, going on marches. <laughs> when did you start working for the Labour Party? Was that after university? So I started volunteering for um, a local Labour MP uh, called Nick Palmer in Broxtow. Yeah. And then that just opened up. I was like, oh my God, like, what if I'm really. Um, sad about a lot of the way that politics is conducted is that it seems like a very exclusive, closed community, where actually it's very open. Yeah. And to be fair to all political parties, they're desperate for people to come and join them and get involved. And, you know, it is, it is almost like a sort of joining a scout group or going to a church. <laughs> or, you know, it scratches that itch where yeah. you're part of a group of people that 
was going to say, you know, with the Labour Party broadly agreed the same thing, it turns out uh, that wasn't the case. <laughs> but um, you, all, you all want to make the world a better place. You've got a genuine, you're involved in a pursuit that can actually affect it. I yeah. mean, that was what I just thought was incredible. When I worked for the Labour Party, I was like, I've come from Snenton, from a working class background, from a single parent family, and I can get involved in this and like be a cog in a wheel that helps improve the country, helps improve the world. It, it, it felt so open to me. And yet people think that it's this um, you know, minority pursuit for people from a particular background. And, and to some extent, sadly, that's true because so many people from rarefied backgrounds end up yeah. getting to the top of it. It is when you generally look at Tory cabinets, isn't it? It has been traditionally. Yeah. I know there are attempts to change that, you know. I mean, even the Labour Party, you know, it's yeah. over-representation of posh white blokes. Did you do politics at university? Did politics at university. Did I was you? just totally obsessed. I mean, completely. I mean, even Were you going to be an MP? No, I don't think so. What were you going to do then, be an Alistair Campbell? I thought it was really inspirational to have a Labour government at that age. I was 14 when I got elected. And obviously it was... There's been a lot of revisionism about Blair and because of Iraq. Yeah. But it was mega popular at the start. And it just felt like... I remember the 80s. I remember how crap life was. And the tone of uh, politics and life at the time was very divisive. And certainly coming from the background that I came from, you know, people on benefits. And if you think the environment's bad now, I think it was a lot worse back then. Matt, I'm sorry, but I've taken us down a funny way. <laughs> I'm slightly worried that the dogs... I mean, at night, this would be the scariest place to be, wouldn't it? Hampstead Heath at night. How do we get Jem back? Can we get Jem back? Jem! Jem! So well behaved. <laughs> Look at Jem hey. on the hurdle. Just immediately came. So, yeah, so I get that sense of you. You were passionate about it. Loved it. But you got into comedy. Why did you move into comedy then? I remember, so I worked for the party and then I worked as a political advisor in local government. So I went to work. Oh, this is going to sound so boring, but I was so excited <laughs> by it. After London got mayoral government elected, because you had old-style old mayors across the UK, you know, the yeah. ceremonial... Chain-wearing mayors. Well, as a 70s child. Of course. Mayor, I mean, I was obsessed by the mayor. The mayor would turn up in a car. <laughs> Lord Mayor's show was like a huge deal. Oh, that's a massive thing in London, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Huge. Um, but you could now have elected mayors, mm. which was one individual elected by the whole city to, to run it. And 12 cities outside of London decided to adopt that model. Stoke-on-Trent was one of them. And it, was, like, it had gone off massively. But I would always rather go to where... It's tough and difficult because mm. uh, that's where you got most, you know, you learn more and you got the most opportunity to actually do something, I think. So I went to work for the elected mayor of Stoke, who, in very much a microcosm of what's happening now, he was centre left. The local party was very, very hard left and they were trying to get rid of him. And Stoke was the only city to have a referendum to adopt this new model of government and then six years later have another referendum to get rid of it. <laughs> so I was working for him throughout this period where this referendum was going on. And it was absolute carnage. Mm. I mean, some of the things I saw, so much of it doesn't get reported, it's incredible. So he was a phenomenal bloke called Mark Meredith. I still see him now, really inspirational bloke, talented young man, set up his own business, you know, done well goes into politics, been Labour all his life, and he was gay, and he would get... So we'd go to public meetings, and like literally thousands of people were turning up. But some people would be homophobic to him during the meetings and say, oh, have you got kids? Because then mm. he was gay and didn't have children. And then people would laugh at him and stuff like this. Not many people, but enough for right. it to really piss me off. It seems to me that you learn to take care of yourself, 
you know, and that was something that you you admired in others. That concept of justice as well. Yeah. What's well, kicking off? Oh God, what do we do? What do we do if it kicks off? You <laughs> just said learning to stick up for yourself, and I'm absolutely shat at the moment. Oh, it's a magpie. I mean, it's so much different when you're the one walking the dog because otherwise I just walk through here and dogs bark quite often. Now I feel really responsible for what Do happens. you? I can't even kill magpies. Well, you feel. <laughs> you want that on the podcast here? Look at that big white one. Oh my God. I mean, the size of some dogs. You can't. I mean, I, I, I admire people, but having them in the house. <laughs> there's turds as well. Like It's like a polar bear's body, but with a dog's head. It looks like the ghost of a dog, doesn't it? A Russian wolfhound. Russian wolfhound. Wow. What's he called? Kubla. Kubla. Like Kubla wow. Khan. Kubla. Kubes. 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 Like he plays for forest. <laughs> Kubla Khan. That was. Uh, I don't um, want to say a really ugly dog. What Kubla? Yeah, I didn't like. I wasn't into that at all. I mean, it looked silly, so it was like good fun, but I was just like, there's something not wrong about it. I almost felt sorry for it. <laughs> it looked, um, looked like an experiment, didn't it? What if people have this conversation when they leave me? Come out of a lab. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to have that conversation, are they? Yeah. So you got into, you did your, you've done a stand up thing, you left politics. Yeah. What, because you decided. So I would go, I'd start doing a thing at Edinburgh with uh, a good pal of mine, John Richardson. That was it. And we would muck, we did a show where we just mucked about, it was like a panel show called On Heat, which was just a, really just an excuse for us to fart arse about for a month in Edinburgh. So I was using my annual leave to do that. I just thought, this is so much more fun. It was more satisfying. It was a lot less stressful than working in politics. And I just thought, I need to get myself, if I can, to a position where I can give up the day job. So I moved to London, started working as a lobbyist for a quango. I then got a job on Talk Sport doing overnight radio, which meant I could jack in the day job and then basically concentrate on comedy, comedy writing and performing, yeah. as well as doing a radio show. So I was just very lucky that I, I, I didn't have to go through any hardship giving up a day job and then scratching around. I was able to... You could all support yourself. Transition, yes. And did you just think this is it now? I love this. Absolutely love it. I mean, every gig. I don't think there's any... I mean, obviously, like any job, there are times where you're more, you want to do it more than you don't. You know, there are days when you think, oh, God, I wish I didn't have to do that tonight. But the moment you're on, oh, it's such a phenomenal feeling. You know, we did that gig the other week at the Palladium for Absolute Radio that we're both at. See, I'm at the, I'm at the Palladium, and it's full, and it's amazing. Just think, what an incredible rush of the novelty of it. And even, it, actually, I mean, obviously, that's like a, a novelty doing a gig like that. But even when it's like 10 or 15 people at a new material night, the thrill of, during the day, thinking of something funny, and then saying it that night, and people laughing, it's incredible. And I went to see your gig recently, which is your tour, which I think is going to be happening in 2019. You're going to be yes. continuing it, and it's called Brexit Through the Gift Shop. That's and right. I honestly... I was blown away by how brilliant it was. Oh, it was mate. a fantastic show. I'd heard it was good because Frank Skinner, who I do a radio show with, yeah. had seen it, I think, in Edinburgh. He had, and he was very, very kind, which meant a great deal. Like, I mean, that's one of the things where... I think sometimes in comedy and stuff like that, you have to be cool about stuff. And, and in life, you know, meet with triumph and disaster and treat the two imposters just the same. And that's just a good rule for life, I think. 
sometimes, I mean, Frank Skinner coming to see me and then being so kind afterwards genuinely was like <laughs> a moment because I'd idolised him for so long. And then obviously in comedy, you end up sometimes meeting or working with people that you grew up watching. And it's so surreal. I don't think you ever fully get used to it. There's always a part of you going, it's Frank Skinner. And he knows who I am and, and he's come and he likes it. Was he a real hero of yours? Oh, up? massively, massively. Yeah. Fantasy Football League, I think, one of the best telly shows. And it had a real effect on me. And I think a lot of the stuff that me and John Richardson have done together, we've always said at the back of our mind, Fantasy Football League is basically the thing you're trying to replicate. That great mix of two funny friends, you know, and it feeling very warm and welcoming. But really, two really funny people making a really funny telly show. You've met a lot of heroes because you met... Tony Blair, you've yeah. interviewed him a few times. I have, yeah. He doesn't get the best press, Tony Blair, does no. he? I always think, what always, I mean, I totally understand why people disagree with him over Iraq, although he won an election after it with a majority that no Prime Minister since has been able to get near. I yeah. saw t you interview Tony Blair. It was on your show on Spanner. I know you interviewed him for the Political Party, which is a podcast that you do. Yeah. It's so funny, whenever you do your impression yeah. of him, because he says, oh, yes, my, my kids say, well, you do sound like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. It's one of my favourite moments, actually. And I, whenever I ask you to do those impressions, Matt, I, do, yeah. I am a bit naughty. I'll say, do your Trump. Do I your know, in an office, it's awkward, because you go, oh, what? Do you, you have to just wheel it out, don't you? Do you? you can do it. You've, do you mind doing it? No, not on the whole, no. The thing is, on what the audio meeting, you don't get the feeling... What would Tony say about this walk? If we were going on the walk, so if Tony could describe maybe yeah. where, whether, which dogs we've got and where we're going now... Well, we have two um, delightful um, dogs, uh, uh, Jim and uh, Boost. And walking around Hampstead Heath, I think, you know, what you realise, firstly, is that how refreshing it is to be outdoors, to be around, particularly in central London, have a sense of a green space. I mean... A man just walked past with a buggy. Middle, middle of a park doing a Tony Blair impression and someone walks past. <laughs> It's like some of the most secluded land in London. Yes, it's right to come here and enjoy it. And I think that's the great thing about London. You know, you have, of course, the metropolis and the sense of um, architectural history and a lot of it, you know, imperial and the rest of it. On top of that, these wonderful green spaces. And yes, it's right to protect them, by the way. And we did. And then, oh, I don't know whether he did or not. Donald Trump's just come in. <laughs> oh Donald, God. what do you think of Hampstead? Have you, is this your first time in... What do you think of... Uh, the UK. Well, I gotta say, I think it's beautiful. And I gotta say, I don't, it's very small compared to my garden. <laughs> very small, but, but it's beautiful. Are there any dogs you don't particularly like, Donald? Are you a, do are you a dog fan? Because I know you think some of them are terrible I, people. Well, you know what? A lot of dogs are angry and I, I, they have a right to be because of what <laughs> Hillary did. And whenever I hear people saying, a Doberman attacked me or, or a, a Rottweiler bit my child, I say, well, it's probably Obama's fault because they wouldn't be angry. They would not be angry if he had done a proper job. And you can't blame the dog for that. I'm not even sure that sounded oh, like. Oh, it really did. It's one of those awkward things. You know, sometimes I'll do it. It's so good. And it won't sound like the person. When I saw your show, and yeah. I just thought it was so brilliant. And oh, I, cheers, I loved it because I know that you are really passionate about politics as well, you know. And, and I don't get the sense of you just standing up there thinking, oh, this will work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There is an element of you feeling involved and, and engaged. And I think you come across on stage as, 
I would say a very unneurotic performer. A very what? Unneurotic performer. I think you said unerotic. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, I, I would, and I would agree that that would be a good thing. I, w- I wouldn't want to be an erotic. Um. It's because you're, um, you're still, you're still in Trump mode. Yeah, that's what it is. So yeah. you're thinking of. Um, I'm very erotic on stage. Unneurotic in that you know you watch some people performing, some comics, and you feel. It's great, and you're on a ride. I would guess like Jim Carrey, where it's like, oh my God, but yeah. it can be overwhelming sometimes in a, in a great way, but it's like a roller coaster thing. I feel with you, I feel I get the best of both worlds because it's funny and I feel taken on your journey, but I, I feel fundamentally you're, you're not troubled and there's no darkness. No, I don't feel like I've got any darkness. I, you know, sometimes, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else ever thinks this, sometimes I just think, not the only normal person. <laughs> But the most normal. I just think. Do you? I, I think I'm pretty normal. I just think I don't really have. You know, any anxieties I have are ones that you would ordinarily have because of, you know, the night before recording something or, you know, before going on stage at Edinburgh thinking, oh God, I hope this is finished. You know, the things that would, that your environment would naturally make you nervous or anxious or worried about. I don't really. I don't feel like I've got any baggage or any. Do you get angry over though, Matt? Do you lose your temper? Oh, watching football, yeah, livid. Men often say that. Oh, man. Oh, God, yeah. But, but really I... irrational and awful swear words. Do you think maybe football is uh, a channel through which you can lose your temper? Oh, and, and football's from a channel the... for a lot of things, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that it's, um, it's a forum that gives you a lot of hope, a lot of anger, a lot of joy, periods of intense delight. So have you ever got um, depressed? Have you ever gone through a phase when you thought... I'm not happy. No, I mean, obviously there are times where you feel better than others, but I wouldn't, I, would, I just, I don't think, it, I think it would be deeply disrespectful to people who've had depression to say that I've ever felt depressed. There are times where I just think, you know, just the normal anxieties of life. The thing is, you can never have it all at the same time, can you? You're always going to have some, if you're not worrying about your career, you're worrying about a relationship or you're worrying about family or whatever. So I'm very lucky that all the people I care about are fit and healthy, that I've got very good friends, very good relationship, very good family. So then you just think, well... Well, I see you as kind of settling. You met your girlfriend a bit ago. Yeah. I mean, we won't say too much about her because it's private, but I think you seem quite sorted and yeah. centred. And Is that fair enough? Oh, I feel like... I mean, I, I have to say as well, I think compared to friends in comedy, and a lot of them really suffer at all ends, there's some really uh, anxious people out there, and I guess that's what you're driving at, I suppose. There's a lot of comedians that are quite... A lot of people that are... Life is very difficult for people. Why isn't it for you? I think I'm naturally optimistic. And I think... (laughs) This is going to sound so, like, cheesy American. I think life is absolutely amazing. And obviously I would, because I live in the West, right? But I didn't come from privilege. The privilege that I had, really, was very lucky to have had a very good mother. Yeah. And that really was better than any financial start in life. Yeah. The discipline and love of a, of, a, of a good parenting is really the best start you can give a child. That is the best. Because then everything else comes from that. And obviously you have bad luck, you have ups and downs or whatever. But I just think, I wake up and I'm so excited. I, I, I can't... The, the worst part of the day for me is going to sleep. I'm like, oh, fucking hell, man. I know I've got to do it, but I'll get up tomorrow and do something else. And obviously there are days where you're hungover or you feel sick or whatever, and you have slightly less energy. But I just always feel like I've got loads of energy for stuff. Not necessarily physically. I couldn't run a mile now. Do you think... I could jog a mile, maybe. You've got a lot of natural serotonin. I think Definitely. Yeah. I, just, I just know that I've, 
I do my friends' heads in, really. <laughs> I constantly wanted to do something. If you leave a room and your friends were talking about you, yeah. you probably happily close that door and don't ever imagine what goes on, and you would assume, oh, yeah, they're just saying, isn't Matt great? Well, Whereas... I would, not necessarily that. I would think, but I, I would be comfortable with whatever my negatives were, I think. I know what my problems are. What do you think they would say your negatives are? If someone was talking and they said, the thing about Matt, he can be a bit... Much. <laughs> I think that's what they'd say. It can be a bit much. And sometimes, a mate of mine, Johnny, sometimes calls me a mytherer. Like, if there is something doing my head in, so the state of politics or whatever, I will go on about it a bit. Not in a kind of student politics way, but it'll crop up in conversation, and that's probably a bad thing. I'm loud. I do generally pester people to watch and my girlfriend always says like always showing me like Stuart Pierce's top 10 goals on YouTube <laughs> or like Paul Gascoigne's craze she's like it's really cool that you're into it and your energy definitely makes me more likely to get into it but I'm not into it and I have to sometimes appreciate that that even though I'm really excited about something not everyone feels the same way and my enthusiasm might make them inclined to have a look, but they're not going to feel the same way that I do about it, about <laughs> Oasis, about football and about certain political speeches. I mean, I will wake up, usually after a night out, of like an iPad that's flopped on my chest while I've fallen asleep and it'll be, you know, Neil Kinnock's speech <laughs> to the Labour Party conference. I mean, literally, Tony it's Blair's totally... 2006 speech. We are halfway through it. I watch I like it in bed. That. Yeah. Because it, I think it subverts people's expectations. My favourite thing I ever did was reading a copy of Gandhi's My Experiments with Truth while yeah. listening to Britney Spears' album oh, when I was on cool. a train in India. Great! And I thought, no, I like this because I can do both. Yes! <laughs> I remember I had a lovely one. It was just a, 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 almost a nice bit of wordplay. I was reading Birdsong by Sebastian Falks yeah. and Songbird by Oasis came <laughs> up. I'm reading Birdsong and I'm listening to Songbird. Yeah, and now you do, we should say, you do a show, we're talking about football. Yeah. And you do a show called Rock and Roll Football on yes, Absolute that's, Radio. Oh, I love it so much. Which I love. Oh, we need to put the dogs on the lead now. Jem. You want to call your dog, please, Matt? Jem. <laughs> this is like a reality show. Benton. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, so Rock and Roll Football. I was really excited when I heard you doing that show because I think you talk about football in... A really intelligent, funny way. Oh, wow. When I listen to that show, I think, no, that's how football should be talked about. It's kind of insightful, but you're, you're gently <laughs> taking the piss as well a lot of the time. Yeah, well, but... football culture's really funny. And what, yeah. One of the things that really makes the me laugh about... The football, I think, that... people miss a lot of the oh, time. Oh, def- well, it's the fantasy football league thing, isn't it? Yeah. That made it really accessible. And really, when I hear people talk about tactics and that, I enjoy the insight, but it makes me very bored. Mm. I go to football to bounce around and see goals. Yeah. And see mates and be silly. And that, that's the attraction. Not sort of chin-stroking about diamonds in midfield and, you know, playing three at the back and all that sort of thing. So that's, that's the pleasure I get from it. And if, you're, if you go to football regularly, one thing you realise is so many people have this view that football is basically hooliganism. Yeah. Most football fans are quite nerdy, quite bookish. There's a kleptomania involved in it. <laughs> they're just people who, you know, they're kind of, there's a Star Wars, there's almost like a Comic Con. They're those sorts there. of people. They want to get yeah. autographs, they want to get. You know, it's, it's, they're closer to Doctor Who fans and Star Wars fans than they are to like. Yeah, yeah. The EDL, really, most of them are that way. 
But I am interested in what you were saying. Russell Howard said that to me. I said, when do you get angry? And he said, oh, football. Yeah. But it's a bit like dogs, to bring us back to the dogs. Yeah. I, I think dogs are useful to talk about the thing you don't want to talk about. OK. So it becomes... Do you know what I mean? Everyone focuses on the baby or the yes. dog in the room. It's a great icebreaker. It's a great icebreaker. It's amazing. So my girlfriend comes from a Celtic family and her dad's a massive football fan, huge fan of Celtic. And just... For, you know, meeting your girlfriend's parents, obviously yeah. for the first time, however wonderful they are, it's sort of slightly nerve-wracking well, the first nervous, time. you're nervous, yeah. Um, but to be able to just talk about football all the time just immediately means you, you've got... There's no awkwardness. And you don't just <laughs> have to talk about Celtic and Forest, you can talk about Mourinho getting fired. Or, you know, it, and it allows you... What, what's great about, I think, and not just um, football but sport, oh. allows you to explore, in the same way that literature does for people, allows you to explore moral... Questions, should divers be punished, is really about are you comfortable with people who cheat getting away with it? You know, yeah. should the rules apply? How, how forceful should rules be? You know, it really, it, without being sounding like Ed Miliband, like <laughs> your views on VAR <laughs> might well reflect your views on how predicated you are to like authoritarianism and things like that. Like, Can we use that for the trail, please? You can, you can learn a lot about... Per, per, you know when people say, oh, if Suarez played for you, you wouldn't have a problem with him? I absolutely yeah. would. Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely would. People yeah. never believe you in this. I hate players like that. <laughs> this talent's not an excuse of biting people and being racist. It drives me mad. And that's another thing as well. People assume that all football fans basically are fine with yeah. infidelity, biting, racism and all that, and they're not. And you sort of feel a certain amount of responsibility to show... Matt, I wanted to ask you, I'm going to take us for some coffees now. I feel like I'm... What do you think of political correctness? I know that's probably another hour and a half. I, you know what? In a weird way, I think in the last five or so years, the meaning has slightly changed. So I think overall, I completely agree with it because political correctness really is just another phrase of manners, isn't it? You know, you just, it's right that you can't... Yeah, exactly. It's right that you can't be offensive about people anymore. I think there's definitely a difference between political correctness and people wanting to be sensitive... Yeah. I'm wanting to be offended. Yeah. I'm not an offensive comic, so it, it's not well, really something that... I will that... be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> so You're it's not. not really... It's not a problem that I often have. This is lovely, isn't it? Isn't it nice? So, do you know much about Kenwood? Nothing at all, I'm ashamed to say. I should have Googled it, well... not mentioned it, and then <laughs> made it look like I was really well read. <laughs> oh, you know Kenwood. It's uh, 1645, is that right? Do you want to take some cake with you? I'm going to have a mince pie. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Let's see what happened up the hill, isn't it? Huh? I know. Let's see what happened up the hill. It's been recorded, mate. What's the problem? Is it? She's a bit annoyed with us. Is it? I'm I've got the impression in that tea bar with that man, you see. I saw another oh, little God. side to you I haven't seen. Oh, what? Aggie? No, not Aggie. I think um, you worry about upsetting people. Oh, God, yeah. Bloody hell. Are you a people pleaser? I don't. Not in a sycophantic way. But I would never like the idea that I'd upset someone. Yeah. Or that I made them feel bad. What I didn't like was, I, th I felt like they were making us feel awkward for being in there. And you just think, well, here, you've set up a cafe and we are buying stuff. I don't understand what the problem is. <laughs> this arrangement is one you've designed. You know what I like about you, Matt? Is when I asked you what makes you angry, I've discovered today, the only thing you got angry about <laughs> is the idea that maybe the cafe owner <laughs> was just a bit off. <laughs> he was a bit off though, wasn't he? And I like that. But I can't be bothered with people being off with people. I've had such a lovely time with you. It's been a real pleasure. Gorgeous dogs, aren't they? Jen looked like she was smiling then. I don't want you to have to choose, but if you had to choose between the lurcher and the staffy. Uh, the lurcher, Jim. I would have done from the start. 
Okay. I think there's something about greyhounds and lurchers. There's like a grace, isn't there? They're such beautifully designed dogs. Right, I love look at the way they sort of sat together, two little mates. Oh, that's like us. I think that's <laughs> two little mates. You're a staffy and I'm a lurcher. How dare you? We'd be the other way around, wouldn't it? I'd be the staffy. I'm the sort of portly one. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.